Welcome to the Team Peds Talks focused on child and adolescent mental health, brought to you by the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, where we are experts in pediatrics and advocates for children. Thank you for joining us for our episode. This series of podcasts will have important conversations with pediatric healthcare providers who are working to equip families to respond to mental health concerns emerging in the COVID-19 pandemic. I am your host, Jessica Peck, NAPNAP's Executive Board President. I am a pediatric clinician, a professor at Baylor University, anti-trafficking advocate, and most importantly, mother of four. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this episode of Team Peds Talks. I am your host, Dr. Jessica Peck, President of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, and I am so excited to have our guest on with us today, Dr. Dawn Garzone. She is my friend, my colleague. I admire her so much, all of the work that she has done. She is a primary care pediatric nurse practitioner and a pediatric primary care mental health specialist with almost 30 years experience caring for children and families. Right now, she is a nurse practitioner with LifeStance Health in St. Peter's, Missouri, where she cares for children and youth with developmental, behavioral, and mental health challenges. She is passionate, I can attest, about improving healthcare outcomes for our most vulnerable youth, especially for the population she serves. And she is a recent uh, past president of NAPNAP and Dawn, we are so glad to have you on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for such a lovely introduction. Well, thank you so much for being such a lovely person. I am looking (laughs) forward to this conversation because what I am hearing, you know, of course, everybody knows now I'm a mom of four. I have kids in elementary. I have kids in junior high. I have kids in high school. I have one going to college. Everywhere I go, moms are all talking about school, school, school in the pandemic. And when I look at my Facebook feed, you know, I see the moms whose kids are in school are wishing their kids were home and talking about all the challenges that they are having with in-person school. And the moms who are doing virtual school are saying, oh my gosh, my kids have been home for almost a year now. And and really, you know, school has a lot to do with kids' health, with their physical health, their social health, their emotional health, their mental health. And so that is what we're going to talk about today is how you can promote your uh, kids' health while we're dealing with all these school challenges. Great. I think, it, you know, this is, I think this is a really important conversations for those of us that provide care for families, as well as for parents, because, you know, Jessica, I vividly remember this time last year, right? We were hearing about all the stuff that was happening overseas. I think those of us in healthcare knew it, it was inevitably coming our way, but we were getting ready to go into this lockdown. And last March we did this we're all in it together, right? Like Rosie the Riveter, we're all going to come together and we're going to be, and, and, and I think we all just thought if we just stayed home for three weeks, it would go away. And, and so we were kind of in it. And then, then three weeks became six weeks and six weeks became two months and two months became six months. And now it's been almost a year. And, and every single one of us is sick and tired of, of what our lives have become and how small our worlds have become. Mm-hmm. And so there's that cumulative stress that our kids have faced as well as the, fest, the stress that we've faced. And school is, as you said, it's such an important part 
of our children's development. So, you know, you know um, that when we look at a child's development, there's, did they roll over? Do they, can they throw a ball, those physical milestones, but they're also social and emotional milestones that kids meet. And in the early years, that's all really kind of dependent on having um, an adult that talks and care for them, provides nurturing experiences for them. But as kids get older, it's learning to have conversations with people that are different than you or think differently than you. And, and that happens at school a lot. Most of that social and emotional development happens at school and at school settings or in, you know, Corey League sports. And those aren't happening either. And so there's, there's a, for, we're all stressed out of our minds. So there's that factor. And I think as parents, it's always really important to remember that if we see our child struggling about half the time, it's because they're reflecting what they're seeing from us. So it, it needs to be how a, a time and an opportunity to kind of pause and look at our own lives and what maybe we're mirroring to our kids and how we might be contributing to them feeling unsettled. And then it, it's also an opportunity to kind of stop and see where your kids are and what we can do to help make things better to help them who don't have the skills that we have to negotiate something that none of us have ever lived through before. Wow, that is so true. So, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, at the very first of March, I was actually, I have this vivid memory. I was at Texas Nurse Practitioners for our annual Capital Day where nurse practitioners had come all over the state and I was sitting in the auditorium and I felt this tap on my shoulder and it was the director of Texas Nurse Practitioners and she said, the media is here. Would you come out and do a, a TV spot? And I do that for them frequently. So I said, sure, yeah. Everybody always wants to talk about nurse practitioners on Capitol Hill Day. So I went out there and got mic'd up. And the first question that the reporter asked me is, how are you planning for the COVID pandemic that's coming? I remember just being totally shocked and thinking, wait, you, you don't want to talk about what nurses are doing in Texas for what, what? And I remember just thinking like, okay, well, I'm really not thinking about that. And here I am, a nurse, a nurse leader, had no idea. Left from there, went to, on vacation with my family to San Francisco, and really everything was pretty normal until we got to the airport to come back home, and there was a news crew at the airport. One of the first cases at San Jose was there, and then, of course, the cruise ship was out in the harbor that we had seen, but it still seemed so strange, and then we came back. My kids were not going back to school, and I say all of this to say that I saw this really interesting shift in my kids because they would come to me every day, every day. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Are we going back to school? And when I would say, no, it's extended another week, there were cheers and they were so excited. And then as the weeks went on, that totally changed. And they said, wait, what do you mean? We're not, we're not going to go back to school. Like, can, can we go back to school this week? Because it had such a big impact on their lives. And I love what you said about the world becoming so small. So we went from, you know, one of my sons plays baseball and, you know, one of my daughters is on yearbook staff. So we went to the other sports games and we had church and we went to the grocery store. And then all of a sudden it was like just us. And I'm trying to homeschool and I'm trying to work. And I'm sure that, you know, I did not, uh, I was not at my best. So I love, you know, what, what you're saying about that. Well, and not to mention, Jessica, I mean, if you just think back to when we were in junior high and high school, 
um, if you wanted to make me have a complete break with reality, you would have locked me in the house with my parents for eight months. Like, <laughs> you know, our teenagers especially, but they, they want to be with their friends. They don't want to be doing family things. They don't want to talk to their brothers and sisters. They don't want to listen to their parents all the time. They, you know, they're used to socializing, even if all they're doing is sitting in a bedroom making funny TikTok dance videos. That's how they, that's normal developmentally for that age group. And then what we did is we were stressed and, and you're right. I, I almost felt like we thought it was almost like extended snow days in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Let's stay home and we're going to bake bread and we're going to like, <laughs> you know, make these great projects. Like I'm not a craft yes. person, but like I was, I decided I was going to make wreaths. Like what, how many, first of all, how many wreaths? <laughs> somebody need in their life and and then second of all like why would I want something that I make that looks like it was made by a five-year-old and so <laughs> we're going out and we're baking and we're and and we're day drinking and we're you know crafting and we're doing all this stuff because it was an it was a vacation right it wasn't it wasn't a holy cow everything needs to change it was a look at this we get free time <laughs> and, and it was it was a lot of fun in the beginning and as families we did puzzles together and we started playing games together again and and then it was like i'm in the house all day long with children who are yelling and screaming at each other with a spouse who's upset because they can't do their work um, because their children in the house yelling and screaming with each other. And now that I've started this whole sourdough crafting, (laughs) you know, Etsy contract job that I have, I'm doing that plus the kids, plus the homeschooling. And and it was like, we got to the summer and we said, you know, if we just get to the summer months, it's going to be warmer and it's going to go away. And then it didn't. And, and, Mm -hmm. and you know, we've all gotten so many conflicting answers about what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do, what's safe, what's not safe. And that's just those of us in healthcare, let alone normal people that are experts at business or mm-hmm. accounting or, or whatever it is. And so, you know, every day last night I or this morning I was watching the news and of course now they're recommending because everything's so bad and we have all these new strains out that we're supposed to double mask. Well, I, I have people going like, I can't get my kids to wear one mask and now you want me to wear two. And like it, it, it is, it's overwhelming for all of us. And I think the first thing that we have to do when we're talking about our kids' behavior and how our kids respond to things always has to start with, am I projecting my own stuff onto my kids or is this actually an issue that my child has? Mm-hmm. And I say that because, you know, when I was a mom, my kids engaged in different things, this group, that group. And to be honest, that was my social network, right? So I had a daughter who was a gymnast. She was in the gym all the time. We traveled, you know, the mom sat in the back of the bus and we all laughed and joked and, you know, had a glass of wine and it was fun. And and that was my social network. We were all really there because our children were engaged in this sport, but, but I had expectations about how this was going to go because of me. It had nothing to do with my child. And I think sometimes, you know, when things are uncertain, everybody feels anxiety. Everybody feels worries. 
But what most people have to stop and become conscious of is that anxiety is the great liar. It tells us that if we just imagine every possible outcome, then we can plan for it. And then when it happens, then everything's going to move seamless and it's going to be great and everything's going to be wonderful. But life doesn't work that way, right? I got up this morning, I poured myself a cup of coffee like I do every morning. And of course, this morning, the creamer um, cover wasn't on it appropriately. So when I went to shake it, I baptized myself in coffee. (laughs) There was no way I could have predicted that that was going to happen. Now, I could have sat up and before I went to go get my coffee, spent 10 minutes trying to imagine every possible thing that could happen when I poured my coffee. And I still would have baptized myself in creamer because life doesn't work that way. And so, you know, when when kids are coming home and they're saying, I just want out of the house, is that normal or is it that the child's also feeding off of our thing of like, I love them so much, but this is way too much time with my favorite freaking people. You need to go back to school. And they're playing off of that, right? So, you know, and do we get caught in this thing where we believe that we can plan our way through it as opposed to recognizing like, I don't know when my kids are going back to school. I'm watching my one child who plays video games, who isn't a social butterfly, is actually doing just fine because this was their life before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. right? And then I have the social butterfly who's just really struggling because feels cut off from their network. And I'm going to plan every contingency so that they both get what they need and And you can't do that because A, we can't orchestrate our children's lives for them. We can be present and help them and listen to them. But are we bringing our own kind of mess into it? Does that make sense? Dawn, I love, I love that because I I just want to take a minute to talk to all the mamas out there who are listening, who had to make the choice of, do I put my kid in virtual school or do I keep them at home? Some moms out there didn't have a choice. You know, their school was closed or their school was open, you know, and there were very limited options. But for a lot of moms out there, you had to make a choice. And I think that was, that really did cause a lot of anxiety because you, exactly what you were talking about, the coffee creamer, that's exactly what moms all across the country did, is try to imagine every possible scenario. And they feel like they're making a choice between protecting their child's physical health versus protecting their mental health. So they think, okay, I'm going to send them to school, but they could get COVID and they could bring it home. And we have grandma that lives with us. And, you know, just thinking through all of those possible scenarios, but thinking, okay, I'm going to keep them at home, but that means they're not going to see their friends. And that means I'm going to have to take a more active role in teaching. And am I up for the job? And so I just want to talk to all the moms out there that are listening that made that choice. And if you chose to put your kid in school in person, I want you to know that you made the right choice. And if you chose to put your kid in virtual school and, and have online school, you made the right choice. 
moms out there made the right choice for your family with the information that you had at the time, you made the right choice for your family. And I think that there's a lot of guilt and anxiety around that. And I know for me, you know, anytime any little bump comes as a mom myself, I sit there and question myself and I think, oh, they just had an outbreak of of COVID at the school. Did I make the right choice? You know, <laughs> or, oh, my kid is crying today because they're so lonely and they see their kids doing something at their friends doing something at school. Did I make the right choice? Yes, you made the right choice for your family in this unprecedented time, which unprecedented is the word of the year for 2020. And, and I think that we need to release ourselves as, as moms from that guilt that we feel over choices that we've made about our kids' school. Well, absolutely. And I, I feel like, you know, as parents, whether we're moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you know, foster parents, whatever our role is as caregivers in children's lives, I, I think we need to understand that a one size fits all doesn't work. And anyone who's had more than one child understands this concept in that, you know, the first kid doesn't sleep at night, but eats everything. And then the second one comes and you're like, I got this. And then the second one sleeps like crazy, but won't eat anything. And so you're like, I don't know what to do because everything I learned, it doesn't work. And then you have a third one and they find a whole new thing to get, you know, <laughs> so even within the same family one size doesn't fit all. So, you know, if there are two moms who are sitting at home and they're discussing what they're going to do with their children and, and, and where they went in March, they had that discussion again at the end of the summer. And they right. may still be having that discussion today. And if, if we all understand that the same style of gene doesn't fit everybody, then why would we do something as complex as each individual child or family would have to make a different decision at different points. Um, and, and it could be, I mean, to be honest, if you have a bright, engaging kid, maybe on the shy side, a little bit introverted, you're in online school, that's probably going fantastic. They're probably like, especially if they're in high school, right? Because by then right. they can kind of do their own thing. If they're in kindergarten, I, I, my daughter's a second grade teacher. And I'm like, yeah, you, you, you just can't, right? Uh -huh. It's like, how do you herd cats over Zoom? I, I don't know the answer to that, right? <laughs> no, but, all the but, props in the world to the teachers out there oh, doing amen. that. Amen, amen. Um, they're, they're amazing human beings. So, you know, one child might do really well in, an, in a virtual environment or in a face-to-face, -face, and you might have another sibling who has a very different reaction. And, and it's okay to rethink and reevaluate. But I think, I think there are two things that we all have to remember is that Again, anxiety is the great liar. So when we're feeling anxious, when we're worried about our, when we're worried about the children in our lives, or we're worried about, you know, my job security isn't as great as it was six months ago, and how am I going to pay these bills? And and you know, maybe family incomes are different, and other responsibilities are coming into play, or you're trying to work. Uh, Monday through Friday, 40, 50 hour a week, work week, and you have kids that are hitting each other in the head with water bottles in the back of a meeting, you know, or a dog that's barking. And I mentioned that because <laughs> I'm actually being very good right now. Um, but, but 
you know, we've got all these stresses and we need to be very conscious of them. And we need to not, I think we don't, it's general considered that we don't make serious decisions quickly without giving it some time to think about it. And I think we need to get caught up that we're seeing the bigger picture and not the day to day. As you know, when I work with families that have kids that have ADHD or have depression or have anxiety or, or whatever their conditions are, parents will go, well, you know, he had a really bad day yesterday. And I'm like, he's still a kid. He's still human. We have good days. We have bad days. Sometimes you're going to have a really crappy day with, with your creamer and it has nothing to do with COVID. It's just because you have Friday morning, right? Or, um, so we need to stop and say like, am I reacting to a situation where I'm having a knee jerk reaction or am I responding to something that I'm looking at, not just a day or two that I'm looking at bigger patterns. The other thing that we really need to remind ourselves is we're all in the same dang boat. Every child in the United States has had altered learning over the last year. Every child has not had the same opportunities for social development, peer interaction. You know, it's so funny. I hear parents just lament over their seniors and their high school juniors. And and yes, those are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things that we do with homecomings and, and you know, um, senior days and photos and college visits and all these other things that we do and they're wonderful, but are we putting our mess on our kids or how much of this is our own kids mess and how much of it is our fear as a parent when we don't remember that every single high school senior feels gypped out of the last two years. They didn't get to do their fun graduation. They didn't get to do their big grad parties. They didn't get to do the fun celebratory things. So there's a whole bunch of remediation that all of us are gonna need to do. Like, I don't know a single person that isn't like, man, when I get my second vaccine, like I'm planning a family vacation. I, I, don't, I don't care if I just go to like on a road trip and hour down the road and stop in like a hotel I never would have stayed in a year ago but I'm gonna sit and drink bad hotel coffee for a weekend because I need out of my house like mm. we all are gonna have things that we need to do to to make up for the lost time and I think the other thing that adds to the fears is I think we all realize it's never gonna go back the way that it was a hundred percent so just like, you know, I think I see work transforming and that that a lot of jobs are never going to fully go back to Monday through Friday, but in a seat in a building um, nine to five, there are going to be a lot of things that get done differently. I was listening to uh, someone in the school district here in uh, St. Charles County outside of St. Louis say school snow days are probably a thing of the past because from here on out, if there's a snow day, they'll just make <laughs> virtual. a virtual learning day. Right. That's right. And, and as kids, didn't we just love those days that we got to go out and sled and drink hot cocoa. And that's just not going to be, that's just not going to be reality anymore. There's going to be something else that's going to happen that we couldn't imagine happening. Um, that will, that will be 
something that brings meaning and joy to our lives in the way that snow days used to, but, but things are going to change. And we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what's going to happen next week, let alone next month or in six months. And the longer this goes on, the harder it is to be patient with being okay in the in-between. Yes. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, there's a defining moment for each generation, right, that they all bond together over uh, all of the, uh, you know, my parents' generation, they all talk about where were they when JFK was shot. Um, my generation, we talk about the Challenger, uh, the generation after us talks about 9-11, and this generation will talk about COVID. And you're right in that they will all have had the same, you know, experiences, although some are, you know, better equipped to deal with it than others because of social determinants of health. And, and some you know, people having resources that they don't have, but there will be some of those common experiences that are all together. And I see them you know, really adapting and being resilient with it. And that's exciting to see because I am a mom of a senior and I see them, they're all going to get dressed up and have a socially distanced photo shoot in their prom dresses, you know, and that's going to be their memory that they have that bonds them together. But I also like what you said about really each child is different. Every mom out there listening knows that that is the case. And I think that, you know, when we're weighing risk, some of our kids are at greater risk for, uh, for mental health issues. And some of our kids are at greater health for physical health issues. And we tend to prioritize those physical health issues because those are, you know, life and death, but there's some mental health issues that are life and death too. And it is okay to prioritize those. And thankfully, you know, we've seen that schools are not a major source of spread for COVID. And we are learning every day, safer ways to send our kids to even though those social interactions are not the same. But, you know, it's hard to believe, Dawn, but we're running out of time here and we're in our last five minutes. And so I really want to talk to you about uh, practical things that parents and healthcare providers can do, because I think these are all things are all connected to healthcare providers. If your kid is having trouble adjusting, we don't just, as primary care providers, we don't just take care of colds or strep or flu. We take care of adjustment disorders. We take care of social anxiety. We take care of separation anxiety. So I think partnering with your primary care provider is really important. But Dawn, what do you think are steps for success that we can, ways that we can equip families for success and helping their kids adjust to all of these uh, new school realities? So I would I would remember a couple basic things about kids. One of the reasons why school works is because there's a schedule. They get up at a specific time in the morning, they get dressed, they have breakfast, they go into school or they go to school and they have breakfast, they sit down, they're not in their bedroom with their Xbox right next to them um, when they're supposed to be having classwork. So having a routine, have a regular wake up time, during the week, making sure that they're not sleeping more than a couple of hours later than that on the weekend, because it throws their sleep off. Um, you know, actually forcing them to get up and, and have breakfast and sit down at their laptop or maybe sit at the dining room table. Um, laying around on your bed all day long is not going to help with concentration. And I mean, let's just be honest, like high school history can be 
boring and math can be boring when you're sitting up in a chair, let alone when you're laying down in your super comfortable bed with, you know, like whatever level sheets that you have on it. So, so having them physically get up and sit in a place, almost like you would have those routines before they went off to school have them get up 45 minutes ahead of time, have breakfast, do the things that you would do together, have everyone kind of sit up. So if they need time in the middle of the day because they're sitting still and they need to get up and do jumping jacks or have a quick dance party to burn some of that energy off, burn that energy off, but then make sure that they've got kind of a schedule. Watch their eating habits. Um, you know, you, you put chocolate pudding in your car, it's not going to run very far. <laughs> and so if your kid's getting up every morning and they're just they're you know, you're kind of, well, we're doing junk, but that's okay. Cause it makes him happy. Well, is he really fueling himself? Is he, is he getting the nutrition that he needs? They, our kids need time to get outside, run around and play, turn the electronics off, have a dance party with your kids. Um, let them go outside and kind of run around or ride their bikes in the cul-de-sac or on the street or go for a walk in your neighborhood or walk in the park. Um, take a 10 minute walk with your kids in the afternoon or if you're home with them and during your lunch break, maybe you go out for a five minute walk so that everybody burns a little bit of the energy off. We, we all know that sitting still all the time isn't good for our mental health as well as our physical health. Um, when kids engage in good behaviors, you know, kids who are struggling, often resort to crabby meltdowns, non-constructive ways, because they're so overwhelmed that they can't get out of the emotion. Well, learn to recognize your kids' cues and, and set up little things that you can do. So um, if you're playing with your little brother and your little brother knocks your pencils off the table and that's a big deal and you don't immediately go Hulk on them, then maybe, <laughs> maybe I give you like a little um, poker chip or a cotton ball or something. And, and we say, okay, you, you did a good job with that. Look how well you handled that. I'm going to give you a penny for this. And when you have 25 cents, then we can go have, um, we can take off some time in the afternoon and, and go to the park for an hour and, and, and you can swing on the swing sets or some sort of a reward system that we're rewarding good behavior. And it's not just that, because we're trying to work and we're trying to do 50 other things that the only thing we're recognizing is when it reaches World War III, because that's the only thing that gets our attention. Um, so that the only thing we're recognizing is when behavior isn't good. And I think, I just wish we could all figure out a way to stop penalizing people that are struggling emotionally and mentally. Um, we don't think twice about if we're going on vacation, going in and getting our kids checked up, if we're not sure if they have an ear infection, because we don't want them to have a physical health problem. When our kids are struggling, we should find, you know, therapy isn't just sitting in a room and talking about your problems. It's about learning other ways to do things ways that maybe work better than what we're already doing. And a kid is going to come to you <coughs> and say, you know, mom, 
or dad, I'm so mad at you and, and you just don't listen to me. And what are you as a parent going to feel? Well, I feel attacked and now my feelings are hurt. Having a disinterested third person that you can say, you know, my brother kind of is a doo-doo head and he really annoys me all the time to say like, it's okay to feel that way. It's not okay to call him a doo-doo head and it's not okay to hit him. So let's think about and if you hit him, does that change his behavior? No. So what might be something that we can do to change his behavior? So we've got to normalize. We do things for our physical health all the time that we don't think twice about that in some cases are somewhat risky, but, but when it comes to mental health, it's like, oh, just just, you know, buck up. I, I, when I was a kid, I struggled too. Or when I, this is not the world that we grew up in. And if our kids are struggling, if they're not sleeping, if they're, if they're having inappropriate amounts of uh, temper tantrums, if their appetite is off, if, if family life has just become where everybody's at each other's throats all the time, those are warning signs that everybody's emotion, emotional mental health isn't as good, just like having a fever is a sign that your physical health isn't good. And you would certainly seek medical attention for physical problems, seeking help when you are having emotional and mental should be just as normal as going for an annual checkup. I love it. And I think that, you know, that's a really great message to end on because like I said, in primary care, we have known now when I stood and did that new spot, you know, a year ago, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about COVID or even global pandemics, but now I've had a year that I have been an intense study. And as a primary care provider, we are ready and we are willing to engage with families who are struggling. And we know tools that we can give them, practical tools and helps that we can give them. Because exactly like you said, you know, you have to learn new ways of coping and new ways of doing things. And we can also help you differentiate between, okay, is this kind of a normal reaction to a pandemic because we're all struggling or when does it cross over into, okay, this is really concerning and we really need to do something about that. And I, you know, I always give this example of uh, going to the optometrist, you know, say that, say that the teacher calls you and tells you, hey, I don't think your kid can see the board. They are squinting and having a headache and not doing very well in their assignments. Well, every parent out there would say, oh, let me call the optometrist and you go and get your kid's health screened and your eye screened. And they say, oh, they're nearsighted. And you say, oh, let's pick out the glasses that are the most flattering. And then you tell them how cute they look and you take pictures and you encourage them to wear them. But we don't do that with mental health when we say, yeah. okay, your child has something with mental health and we need to do some interventions. You say, I'm just going to wait it out a little. I, I just, you know, maybe I need to, you know, pray a little bit more or be a little stronger or, you know, just give it some time. You would never do that with an eye problem, but when there's something going on with our brain, we tend to stigmatize that. So I think that's so important just to reduce the stigma and to talk about it, to be open about it and say, yeah, my kid is struggling. Here's what's going on. And to share that so that we can support each other is so important. And I would agree that what you said is that, you know, maybe we need to pray a little bit more. Or we need to spend time together as a family. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, children who have a core belief system, whether it's an organized religion or not, they, they, they believe in something bigger than themselves. We know that that imparts 
resiliency. Mm-hmm. And so, so what I would say is if your child had strep throat, you would pray about it. You would get them chicken soup. You would give them a popsicle. You would give them snuggles, but you'd also get them antibiotics. Mm-hmm. So if, if we understand that real anxiety and real depression and real attention deficit disorder are changes in brain chemistry, and we know this because when we stick people in scans, they're different, then it's a much of a physical problem is having pneumonia or having diabetes or having strep throat is. And so- And I totally agree with you. And it just is a last thing, Jessica, absolutely. Our primary care providers are are the key to our children's health. So questions, concerns, problems, it's always the first place to go because when you have that one central place that you go for your children's care, then someone is looking at that whole child and making sure that all the care services come together. So call your primary care provider, ask those questions. And for the for the for the providers that are out there, NAPNAP has a wealth of resources through our uh, our continuing education. Um, I've done a number of them. There are a number of great ones that are out there at little or no cost. Get the extra training. Um, Join our virtual conference in a couple of weeks. There are going to be lots of offerings that are going to be there and and get those tools and support that you need so that we can do what we all want to do, which is ensure that our children that we love and care for have their best possible futures because we've set them up for it today. Well, I could not have said it better myself, and I am going to end on that note. Thank you so much, Dawn, for joining us today. We just appreciate your expertise and especially keeping it real. I love love that because families are experiencing keeping it real all over the country. And so thank you for speaking into uh, into their hearts and homes today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Team Peds Talks, brought to you by the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners, experts in pediatrics, and advocates for children. Please join us again next time, and thank you for listening.